So we're talking today at getting back at it. Over the next two weeks, kind of a short series, but we're focused on this idea. And let's, let's get back at it. Let's be revived. Let's find the energy that can only come from the Lord after what we would all say was a, a discombobulating time. And in many ways, we're still in the midst of it, but we are trying to move the church forward. And we want to be a part of that, both this church and again, the capital C church we want to get moving, but it's easy for us to get out of the habit of doing the things that lead to or maybe are most successful. It's easy to get out of the habit of that, and it's easy to fall into something else. When I talk about habit here, I'm talking about the definition of habitual. Habitual, that, that definition is doing something constantly or as a habit. Our habits, again, influence are influenced so much by what we really believe, by what really uh, informs our heart. Our habits tend to flow out of that. And so it's critical that we as the church get back in the habit of doing the things that can make us individually successful Christians and collectively the, the cause of Christ successful amongst the world. But again, it's easy to fall into some other habits, to start doing some other things that it seem like sometimes they're a better idea. It seemed like they're a better approach. I, I remember back when I was in high school, uh, Michael Jordan, everybody knows who Michael Jordan is, greatest basketball player of all time, my opinion anyway. I remember when he retired. And he retired young, and he decided he was going to go play baseball. And so Jordan retires, he goes and plays baseball, and he bats 202, which is not great. It's not, not a great batting average. So the greatest basketball player of all time went and played baseball, and he, and he spent about a year or so playing baseball. And so he really went away from the things that had made him most successful. And I remember he came back and made a simple announcement, I'm back. That was it. And he scored 55 points on the first night playing basketball. He got back to what was really for him his first love, and things started going well again. You know, sometimes it's easy to get out of the habit of doing the things we know we are supposed to be doing. It's easy, and it's been really easy for Christians to get out of the habit of doing those things over the last year and a half. Sometimes that can be in how we're simply following Jesus in our individual prayer lives, in our devotional lives, in the way we're talking about Jesus to people that don't believe, in the way that we're loving people that are far from God. It's easy to get out of the habit of those things. But it's also easy to get out of the habit of just being engaged in church. And I know to some degree I'm preaching to the choir today, both those of you that are in this space and you're here every Sunday, and those of you that are online, because you need to be right now for health concerns, and that's understandable. I want you to hear me saying that. So in some ways, we'll be preaching to the choir. But at the same time, every one of us is in this point, I believe, to some degree or another, where we need to be rekindled. We need an energy to be rekindled in the church. And so it takes all of us really taking a minute to say, okay, what's it going to look like? for us to get back to being habitual about the things that matter most. Following Jesus, participating in the ministry of the church, 
You know as well as I do that during 2000 and part of parts of 2001, we experienced a time when our ability, both in this church and churches all around the world, all around the world, our ability to participate in worship and church ministries diminished. I was talking to Miss Chris Garcia, who's here with us today from Beshan, Mexico mission. And you know, she's experienced that here, both in, in the States as she was seeking to be able to travel and visit churches and also of course, in Mexico. In some cases, people's ability to do that out, outright disappeared. Some churches, you know, totally went under. It's, it's, a, it's been, a, again, a scary time. So returning to church or restarting ministry for all of us, both, again, the big church out there and even our church, can seem daunting, can seem challenging. But let's get back Let's get back at it in doing those things that we know that God is going to bless. And I know that's hard because after and through this season, it's made a lot of people tired. It's made a lot of people, let's just be honest, some people started to enjoy, you know, being less busy and all these kinds of things. I was, hey, I was overcommitted or whatever it was before. And some of that's understandable. People feel tired. They feel overwhelmed. It's an emotional experience that we've been through, you know, all the way through this season. But either way, no matter how we may feel right now, we have to be greater than our feelings. We have to overcome those feelings and get back to doing what it is he calls us to do as his church. And so in this first key passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see how easy it was, even for the disciples themselves, to kind of fall back into some habits, even though they had been left with the Great Commission, even though they had seen uh, and, and had been with Jesus and had spent time with them. They went through a stressful, discombobulating time, to say the least. They saw Jesus crucified. But coming out of that, their initial response, well, you'll see. John 21, 1 through 14, they started to go back to what it was they knew. And what did many of the disciples like Peter know? Fishing. That was what they had done. So just listen to this story. And I think you'll see some parallels that are pretty interesting for our story. It said uh, John 21, 1 through 14, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So you got a bunch of the disciples together at this point. Said, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And then they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So they'd had an, a whole night of unsuccessful fishing even though that was what they had, you know, again, always done. I mean, they were clearly successful fishermen before this, and they're kind of stumbling back into this. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. They must have thought this guy on the beach was crazy. We've been fishing all night. I mean, how's that going to make any difference? We've literally been right here fishing in this spot 
there's not going to be any more fish on the one side of the boat than there would be on the other. That's ludicrous. But they did. They did what he said. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So he recognizes him. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was, a full, it was full of large fish, 153 fish. Now, there's been, you know, why 153? Well, there's been a lot written through the years, many, many years of what does the 153 mean. You know, there's a possibility that this is gematria. And uh, that's a Hebraic thing, a Hebrew thing that they would assign letters to numbers. So those who, you know, know a lot about these things have parsed through what some of this means and have looked back to the prophet Ezekiel and and, and all of these kinds of things that have been tied together. It's possible that that's some of what's going on and that John, who was kind of known for some of his um, his high writing, if you will. He kind of had almost an ethereal style where he's looking to heaven and these, some of these kinds of things. It's possible that he's doing some of that here. But I think the bottom line is that, and what we know is that counting the number of fish in the net was not a, I mean, that was not that crazy of a thing. It happened because the fish would be divided up. But either way, I'm just telling you that as a bit of an aside, I'm not sure that the number matters so much as this huge catch of fish matters and that the net was not torn. I do think there is some symbolism there in what John is saying and teaching about what Jesus is teaching to his disciples, that he'd gone back to some old habits when they really just needed to be preparing themselves for what was coming next. Because you know what's coming next. If you've read the book of Acts, you know the day of Pentecost is coming. The Holy Spirit, which Jesus had promised them, is coming. And they are going to, there is going to be a fire kindled in them that is going to see them spreading the gospel all around the known world. Friends, there's a lesson in that for us. That we need to lean in to Jesus and believe again Believe again for a new catch on the other side of the boat. Because again, this time that we've all been through will shake you. It'll shake me as a leader. It'll shake all of us as members. It'll shake the world. It has. But it's time to lean in. Jesus said to them in verse 12, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So he's appearing to them, he's encouraging them. And I believe that Jesus will do the same for us, church, if we will lean into him and trust him. Here's these disciples out fishing all night, catching nothing. Jesus tells them to cast the net on the other side, and they bring in a catch that their nets really shouldn't have been able to hold, but they do. 
And this, I believe, was a precursor of what was about to happen with the church. How they were going to go and, you know, they were reminded, you're going to be fishers of men. And they get out there doing that again. And it's a catch that's unbelievable. As people come to know the Lord and the gospel spreads around the known world. This is a beautiful thing. And it is a reminder for us to stay, remain hopeful. Be hopeful people about what the Lord is going to do next. And you and me, now let's just get back at it. Doing what he calls us to do. And trusting him, even when things seem more difficult, and they are, they're more difficult than they were pre-pandemic. Even when things seem difficult, let's remain encouraged as we cast the net on the other side of the boat and trust him for the increase. This was the Lord's wake-up call to the disciples. It was a wake-up call of that fresh fire that was coming. Our faith in God, I believe this, I believe this church, our faith in a God that can do a new thing and lay down fresh fire, man, it needs to be rekindled. That faith in the church, both the Galilee Christian Church and the Capital C Church, needs to be rekindled rekindled. And guess where it starts? In every individual heart here in our church. It starts right there. So I have to do my part to invite that fire in. Invite that fire in. Because look, it's easy to fall back into the, the familiar. There is something comforting in the familiar. We know it is. Not just in the sense that we return to the familiar because it's comfortable, but because it's also comforting. But the truth is, there is nothing more comforting than knowing that Jesus is going to be there to rekindle a fire in me and you if we will trust him again in faith. That he will rekindle what he is going to do in his church. What he has done in the past, he will do again. And if we will be a people of big faith, he will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. It's time for us to believe it again. Unfortunately, some people during this, let's call it, as I've been calling it, COVID season, have returned to the familiar, but unfortunately, it's not the familiar of faith that they've returned to. Too much of our world, yes, even our christ following world has returned to habits that are unhealthy. We know this statistically. We know this because of many things now that have been written about this pandemic, both for non-Christians and Christians alike. The increase in things like pornography, drug use, abusing of alcohol, people simply distancing themselves, and not wanting personal interaction. They found that they liked the solitude of COVID season more than they thought they would. And so there is a continued distancing from one another. Back in the day, you guys know, they called this backsliding for church members, for people who follow Jesus. And there's been a lot of that. And it's unfortunate. 
It's, it's more than unfortunate, it's sad. And so for us, hey, if that's not you, praise be to God. But here's what I would say. There's probably for us, every single one of us in this room, that we don't look at this simply and say, oh yeah, I'm gonna pray for those other people. That's, that's one thing we should do. Pray for the backsliding people. But then be sure that we've examined our own hearts. And Lord, where is it in my own heart that I've backslidden and I've gotten too comfortable? I've gotten too comfortable with the same old, same old, the familiar, that which is easy, rather than getting back at doing the things I know you want me to do as a part of your church. You know Peter's story. And, and he's, you know, really one of the, the focus of part of this story today. But Peter denied Jesus and he walked away. And some people have done that during this season. Some of us have not denied Jesus, but we have denied Jesus a part of ourselves. Whether it's time, talent, energy, treasure, whatever it is. And so just like Peter... We need to be restored. The good news is Jesus is in the restoration business. It's what he can and will do. But we got to do our part to get back at it. He, he picks us up. He will pick us up like he picked Peter up. The good news for you and me is there's no such thing as a useless person in the kingdom of heaven. Nor is there someone beyond forgiveness. Even if, look, even if we need to be forgiven over and over, even if we can't believe that we went back, we slid back into some of these habits that we thought we had finally gotten past. And, and I don't know all of your stories. I don't know the things you're struggling with right now, both those in this room and those online. I, I don't know what they are. I just know that this season has unfortunately actually rekindled some of those things for far too many people. And it's time to put out that fire and see the Lord rekindle fresh fire of revival in his church. And it begins, as I'll say again, in our hearts. That's why this message has relevance to those of you that are in the pew, those of you that are faithful online, those of you that have been faithful in your living rooms, those of you that have been faithful in your cars as you pulled up in our parking lot during the season when we had to do a drive-in service. It's why it, this message has relevance to you and it also has relevance to the one that has fallen away during this season. Because no matter where you are on that spectrum, wherever your heart is on that spectrum, we all need to be reminded to fall back into our first love and to not abandon our first love for comfort. Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And it's true. Revelation 2, 4 and 5 says this, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless what? You repent. So every one of us has some area of our life 
that we know we need to deal with, that we know we need to repent of, that we know we're not being honest with God about. And church, listen to me. You cannot heal from what you hide. You cannot heal from what you hide. And truth of the matter is, you're not hiding it from the Lord anyway. He knows all about it. So it's time for each of us, if we're really going to get back at it, it's time for each of us to examine ourselves. And sometimes we need some help. We need some help to get back at it. And I believe, I'm praying, and I want you to pray with me, that this series will be something that begins a rekindling of a fresh fire in our church. And not just that it would spread in our church, but that it'll go to our community, and yes, to our world. Jesus is there reminding us, I believe, to not give in to burnout. Or, you know, hanging up our basketball shoes and finding some other thing to do. Because it's either more comfortable or we think it'll be easier or whatever it is. So I'm going to give you three key areas. If you're taking notes this morning, I'll roll through these pretty quickly. Three key areas, I think, that are going to lead to this. If we are going to get back at it, what does that look like? What do we need to do? Well, they're pretty simple, but I think it's integral that we as a church do them, that we individually put them in place in our lives. The first thing is pretty obvious. It's prayer. And we better start there. You want revival? You want to get back at it? You want to see your church get back at it? You want to see the capital C church get back at it around our country and our world? Pray. Pray for the revival. Pray that the manifestation of God in this house of prayer will come again. Pray in three key areas, in three key ways. I believe a prayer life that revives has three key things that are a part of it when we're praying. We're praying in humility, we're praying in hunger, and we're praying in holiness. We're praying in humility that says, Lord, we cannot do this. As one of the leaders in our church, I pray that prayer frequently. Lord, like many other Christian leaders and fellow ministers around this world, I cannot revive your church. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not capable of that. Only the Lord can do that. So I humbly ask the Lord, Lord, bring revival. Lord, humble me that I would put myself in the right place to be a part of the revival I believe you mean to bring to your church. And so I pray that in a hungry way. Lord, I hunger for your energy. I hunger for your strength. I hunger to see your passion rekindled in your church and in this community. I hunger to be a church on mission, to be a person on mission, advancing the gospel, making disciples and serving everyone. Make me that kind of a person individually so that I can lead our church to do the same. And I pray in holiness for his holiness to show up in my life because my sinfulness 
It's easy for it to get in the way. So Lord, make me holy. Make me holy that I might be in the best possible place spiritually to be able to do what it is you want me to do to see revival come, to get back at it. So we pray. Second thing is this. We look to his presence. We look to his presence as we critically see the value of our presence in worship. Where two or more are gathered, it's true. The Lord says he's with us. But you know as well as I do that when we are in this church, and you look around, the presence of other believers is an encouragement to you. So the more of us that are in that, the more of us that are together in that, it makes a huge difference. And it is absolutely true that there are some that have fallen away. Again, preaching to the choir a little bit today. But there's opportunity here for each of us to be more committed, to remember our value, to be a part of this, and to look at what we're doing as a church when we come together into this space and remember the value of our presence. Not just for the Lord, but also our, the power of our presence for one another. Yes, we encourage one another when we are here and we worship together. So we make this a priority. Our presence here invites in the presence of the Lord. And our presence here encourages one another. It's why being a part of a church matters, at least one of the reasons why. So we got to prioritize it. Just like it's, you know, it's easy to prioritize a lot of other things that matter, but they certainly don't matter as much. You know, ball games, World Series games, probably going to be a Georgia National Championship game. These are the kinds of things that if they were happening, let's just be honest, like you're not missing that. If you're a fan, you're not missing that. Not for anything. And it's understandable. It's fun. Be a part of that. But I don't think I have to tell you that our desire to be together in worship should far outweigh our desire to see our favorite sports team. It just should. We have to make it a priority of presence. A priority of presence. You know, if it was a national championship game or a World Series game, if you're a fan of the team, you're going to do, you're going to drop everything. You're going to block out every bit of your schedule and be there and be a part of that. Again, understandably. We have to treat worship the same way. Our presence matters. And look, missing church is going to happen from time to time. It happens for everyone. The critical thing is that we must not let that become a habit. It's easy for missing or skipping church to become habitual, to become something we do over and over and over again. So again, this message, this part of this message may not be for you, but you may need to lovingly share it with somebody that, that, that it is a problem. Maybe you know of a family in our church that you could invite back and say, hey, we talked about this this morning. 
And I want you to know I've missed your presence. I'm not trying to guilt you, not trying to make you feel bad, but I want you to know I love you enough that when you're not here, I miss your presence. This is the kind of thing that could make a difference in somebody's life. And so I'll remind us all, online, in person, wherever you are, your presence in worship is needed. To restore the sweet spirit, to restore the energy in our worship, to see revival come. Look, you know as well as I do, our church has been through a lot, like a lot of churches have. We are not alone in that. I talk to so many in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, that are in varying areas of serving in the church. And it is a great struggle. So we need to be praying for our own revival, and we need to be praying that we would get back at it, and we need to be praying for these other churches that are struggling as well. Because listen, this is not, and I have said this for almost a decade now, this is not so that we can have a great big church and look around and say, oh, there's lots of people here. That, that, look, that's not, I don't care about that. I really don't care about that. We need to be a powerful, rekindled, on fire, revived church because our world needs us. Our world needs us engaged in the fight. There is in this world right now a loneliness epidemic that some of the world doesn't even realize it's experiencing. That some people don't even know that they have. A desire for relationship and being with others and support that some people are not even grasping, but some are. I, I read a story recently, and, and it was in a paper, that a woman had gotten so lonely that she called 911. Because she was just so lonely. And so those who responded came and found that this was, again, simply a case of loneliness. You know what they did? They just stayed and made her dinner. There is a part of our world that doesn't even know what they need. But what they need is presence. They need our presence. They need our being willing to be engaged. Again, not only as a part of the church here as we gather to worship, but you know as well as I do, when we get engaged and our presence happens here, we get encouraged and then we take that with us out into a world that needs it deeply. So show up and lift up the name of God with all your heart. Greet someone on a Sunday morning. Bring energy Start worshiping in your car so that when you get here, you're already warmed up. Just come ready. I, I promise you, I will never come in this church on a Sunday morning without having gotten ready before I ever walk in these doors. In prayer and in asking God to move. I will never do it. The day I do it will be the day I resign. You hear me? I will not do it. And so I'm asking you to refuse to do it too. Let's be a people that are seeing the power of our presence as a church and our part to play in it. Be present. Final thing is this. It's, it's participation. 
And yes, this is not the same as presence, and I'm going to explain it. Participation, participation in this case, I'm going to take a minute and say thank you. So many of you have been participating. You have remained faithful to serve the Lord's church. Because participation means, again, we're up to something. We're doing something. We're doing our part to serve in the church. So many of you, whether it was being a part of Fall Fest and, and coming together and making what could have been a really mess of a night because of the weather, to watch the Lord's church come together and make that work, it was amazing. And you'd think I wouldn't be surprised by it now after 25 years, but I still am sometimes to just watch the Lord's people jump to it and start solving problems and loving their community. It's beautiful. So thank you. People that have, again, donated both finances and time to come and pack meals for Haiti, hundreds of you. People that have remained faithful to greet at our doors, to serve in our church, to be in our nursery, to work with our kids or our teenagers. Whatever it is, the area of service that you've been serving, I say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I'll also say we need more. We need more. And this is a perpetual problem across every church that I have talked to and every article that I've read from other church leaders. Hey, just getting people engaged again and getting them to say yes to serving in the church. And I've already patted you on the back and said, man, so many of you have remained faithful. It's been awesome. You've, you've encouraged and inspired me, and I want you to hear me saying that. And then I also say, and we need more. We need to do everything we can, both those of us that have remained faithful to serving and those of us that have gotten into some bad habits of not serving. Let's get back at it. We as a church are doing everything we can to set the table for revival. We're working right now, our leaders are working right now on a three-year plan of recovery, uh, bouncing back from this COVID season to continue effective uh, ministry that even over the last decade has seen us baptize hundreds and over the last 150 years has seen this church baptize thousands upon thousands. We believe that God's not done because if we're not dead, God's not done. So we're just gonna keep trusting him. Revive us again, O Lord, and give us the energy to get back at it. That's a prayer I've been praying, and I'm praying it for you. You keep praying it for me. We're even now, as church leaders, working with the Center for Church Leadership, working on that three-year plan, looking at all the aspects of our church to get as healthy as we can to set the table for this revival. And in a lot of ways, we're listening in some ways to say, hey, cast the net on the other side of the boat. <laughs> we got we to be willing to do it. Let's, let's try it. You guys know we're working on a lot of things. I just want you to know, nobody's sitting idle. We'll keep working to do our part, and you do yours. And all the while, the good news is, as I've already told you and already congratulated you on, good news, man, good things have continued to happen in our church, even through an unbelievably difficult season. Now, you think about all the victories we've gotten to see. People continuing to be reached, money being raised for missions. Again, all those meals being made for Haiti. Kids being blessed with sore bags that are going to go to Mexico and make a huge difference. 
teens being reached and discipled, Bible studies, women and men that are involved in those, women's conferences, all kinds of powerful, beautiful things. Great things have been happening, but great things are still to come. I believe it. We're gonna do everything we can to set the table for that. And we are, as leaders, I'm telling you right now, we are going to be aggressive because the time is short. We are going to be aggressive for the good of the gospel because time is short. I believe that. So we gotta get after it. We gotta do our part. I'll finish with this. Recently, um, recently one of our volunteers exemplified the attitude that I'm talking about this morning. <laughs> and she's one of our seniors. And again, so many of our seniors set such a great example in our church of service. So thank you. But she was in a car accident. And she broke multiple bones and was in a lot of pain. She was in rough shape. And so after a, a few days after that had happened, she and I were texting. And she volunteers back in our sound booth, by the way, which, by the way, is outside of her comfort zone. Not something she'd done before, but she had said yes because she knew it needed to be done. And she just went back there and did it. She's doing, she's doing great. I'm thankful for that. The next day, I was, I was checking on her, and we were just kind of texting back and forth, and she was laid up in a cast and all these other kinds of things. I mean, just in pain and rough shape. And she sent a text back to me and said, tell Kai, if you don't know Kai, he's back there, our, one of our main sound guys, tech guys on staff with us. She said, tell Kai I can still click the button with my good hand. And y'all, I almost was in tears. That's the kind of attitude we need. It's the kind of heart we need. We need more and more of it. People that are just, man, all in. Let's do whatever it takes to get back at it. We don't need excuse making. We don't need people retiring or stepping away. And we, we don't need people opting out because they're busy, tired, bored, whatever. We need people to get back at it because we have work to do and this church will only be as strong as our submission to Jesus. So fresh energy. On the other side of the boat, let's toss the net. Let's get back in the habit of prayer and presence and participation. Giving Jesus our all because he deserves, you know this, he deserves nothing but our best committed life. Let's be a people that are trusting him for the increase on the other side. Let's get back at it. Let's pray.